Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. Just as a nursing, nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believe. For you know that we dealt with each other, with each of you, as a father deals with his own children encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm now going to pray quickly for Sharon. Please pray with me. Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and this morning. Thank you for the meditation of Sharon's heart and mind, and I pray Lord, that it would be pleasing in your sight and that you would bless her words to us as she speaks this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't know if you've noticed how predictable Facebook comments have become uh, whenever a press conference goes live. Here are just some examples. If only our politicians could grow a backbone and act with integrity, show some compassion for our first responders in hospitals and and mask up. Lockdown plans are a mistake against the Delta variant. I guarantee you, you can find these on any Facebook post reporting on the coronavirus. There are just so many opinions about how we should move forward as a society. In the past 18 months, we, the church, have endured many emotions, have been forced to make rapid decisions. And when we are fatigued, anxious, and for some of us experiencing deep loss unrelated to the pandemic, it can be difficult to entrust ourselves to God, let alone keep watch on how we are doing ministry and how we are living. Today's passage sees Paul match up his ministry in life with the message he preaches. And in the rest of the letter, we see that this matching up is not a matter of convenience, but done in the face of great opposition. Paul preaches and lives with boldness, integrity and love in the face of much affliction. Boldness, integrity and love. Can you think of an organisation which embodies these values? The other day I asked my non-Christian friend whether they could think of someone or an organisation who holds these values and she looked at me, she sighed and she said, Sharon, you know company values are aspirational at best and a clever PR stunt at most and sadly I, I think I agree but I decided to test this out anyway. Take the World Health Organization, for example. Their values include integrity, trust, care, professionalism, and collaboration. Yet they have experienced 
more public scrutiny than ever in 2020 for their handling of the global pandemic. They are seen to have failed to act with integrity. They lost the trust of the public for a while. But what about something a little closer to home, even though not many of us use the service nowadays? Metro trains. Did you know that one of their core values is dependable? Now imagine if every organisation or government pivoted to embody these values of boldness, integrity and love during this pandemic. I imagine it'd be a very different world that we would be living in. Before we get to today's passage in Chapter 2, it's, it's worth noting a few things um, about the church that Paul is writing to. In Chapter 1, they are being commended for being a living witness to other cities. Paul also commends them for imitating his ex excellent example. The tone of thankfulness and encouragement is saturated throughout this letter, and Paul wants them to continue in the manner that they are already living in. For readers and hearers like us who did not have the privilege of living amongst the Thessalonian church, Paul's testimony of this church shows us how confidence in God's calling produces the kingdom values of boldness, integrity, and love. Interestingly, this passage also gives us permission to imagine what might happen if these values, particularly integrity, are not upheld. Paul lists some rather terrifying agendas, which we don't have to imagine the consequences of because sadly we have seen uh, the, the tragedies that can come with these motives. We may find ourselves wondering how we can move forward in boldness, integrity and love when we are the ones suffering. Well, I believe Paul's letters to the church in Thessalonica can help us to answer the why and how we can embody these values of God's kingdom as we wait for Christ's return. Uh, with all that in mind, I'd love you to open your Bibles um, to chapter 2 and we'll begin at verse 1. You yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our coming to you was not in vain. This phrase, uh, you know, as you know, as you remember, it appears quite often in this passage, not only in verse 1, but in verses 2, 5, 9 and 11. So Paul isn't giving them a lecture, but a powerful walk down memory lane. These verses show that Paul is wanting the church to remember what they already know. Uh, they already know that Paul and his co-workers faced great opposition in bringing the gospel to them. They know it, they resonate with it because they've lived it. Back in chapter 1, we see, we see that this church received the word in much affliction as well. We also know uh, from this letter that they were a largely Gentile church, and this is significant because in their city, the major religions of the day consisted of Roman and Greek pagan worship um, as well as the Jewish sect. So one can imagine the kind of displacement the saints might have felt. They, they might not have felt that they belonged anywhere in society. Their religious community uh, wasn't recognised and there is evidence in the rest of this letter that they were doing a marvellous job at defending their faith. So why is Paul writing to them things that they already know? Well, perhaps Paul is giving them the kind of encouragement that sinks deep into their hearts, renewing their confidence in God's calling of them and urging them to turn that trust into action. 
In the first two verses, Paul is inviting the church to marvel at how God was at work before Paul even arrived in their city. Despite suffering in his last post in Philippi, Paul and his co-workers were helped by God to confidently bring the gospel that would build the first church in Thessalonica. Not only that, but the gospel was preached and people believed. The hearers themselves are reminded that they are evidence of God's power. And testimonies are powerful, aren't they? We've just heard a wonderful one uh, from Beck. Christians all have their own story of how God brought the gospel to them. Less so uh, do we get the full picture of how God was working in those who brought us the gospel. Sometimes we get a glimpse of that and praise be to God. The prayers of a mother or father, the bold invitations of a colleague, the endurance of a preacher in training and those training them, the act of generosity from other believers. Paul is giving a glimpse of God's glorious work from his perspective, and it's encouraging stuff. God was already at work to bring them the gospel before they heard it. So Paul's boldness isn't founded upon his own talent, but in God himself. He is a mighty God. You see, boldness is not a kingdom, a kingdom value that is based on human effort alone. It's not merely aspirational, but it's true because of who God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is. Paul is showing us that remembering God's past work in our lives can help us in the face of trial. Boldness is not just knowledge, but it's trust in action. Trusting in God's power and sovereignty provides the springboard to live worthy lives, even in the face of affliction. So that's boldness. And in the next four verses, uh, three to six, um, we'll focus on integrity. In these next four verses, Paul affirms the church uh, that their calling was an act of God. We read that his appeal does not spring from deceit or impure motives or trickery, that it was not preached to please mortals, and that Paul never preached in order to seek praise. If we follow Paul's train of thought, he has just told the church the origins of his confidence in declaring the gospel of God to them. So now he gives us a picture of what this boldness looks like in his context as a preacher. His ministry trusts in God's truth. It trusts in God's provision and it trusts in God's approval. So we see here that boldness is paired with integrity and some commentators suggest that Paul might be defending his ministry against the teachers of the day, um, teachers of the day who seek, to, who seek to deceive and extort people for their own selfish gain. But more than this, what Paul has done is paint us a picture of who God is and God is trustworthy. God's message, his gospel, his good news is true and pure. It does not deceive. The gospel of God will not flatter you so that you blindly devote yourself to God. He is not a greedy God. He does not need your approval. Paul is saying that it doesn't match up with God's character that his message be wrapped up in impure motives. The gospel of God promotes integrity because of who God is and he is holy. 
God tests the hearts of and is the witness of both Paul and the church. Trust in action produces integrity because we are trusting in a holy God. What Paul is highlighting here is that to preach the gospel of God with selfish motives would be to undermine the very gospel itself. When we say that God's call to us is not to trick us into blindly following him, we are affirmed of his goodness and power. When we are secure in our calling, we are free from being a slave to pride, greed, and fame. Paul shows us this, not only when it comes to preaching, but in life also. But it doesn't always feel that way, which could be a reason why Paul is wanting to encourage the church and remind them of God's truth, provision, and approval. I do want to spend some time addressing this particular message for us Uh, For those of us who have the opportunity to promote the gospel, whether by preaching um, or teaching or witnessing to others. So really, that's all of us. There are too many examples of activities that have been done in the name of Jesus Christ that sadly grieve the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. Activities which are tainted with motives to deceive, flatter and extort others. And that's not okay. But how do we avoid falling into the same trap ourselves? Well, I think Paul is also giving us some ways uh, to do a regular heart check. And I must confess, reading Paul's confession makes me slightly uncomfortable because it makes me feel really exposed. And the irony is um, that I got to read this while preparing a sermon. Consider why somebody might need to deceive someone or flatter them for their own gain. It might be because they have a deep longing for approval um, or an underlying dissatisfaction for the way life has turned out for them. For Christians, this kind of behaviour points to a deeper issue of replacing the truth about God with a lie. This kind of behaviour twists the truth of the gospel, decides for itself that God's message doesn't match up and translates it into a message which serves only the self and not God. It rejects that that God's message on its own is the truth and has power, that God is the one who provides it, and that he is the one who approves the messenger. Perhaps the greater tragedy is that only a holy, merciful and compassionate father could heal the crippling wounds of insecurity and deep feelings of distrust of a righteous God. For Paul and for us, a right response to a God who calls us in truth and love is to live with integrity, It's to preach with integrity. We are promised with the gift of the Holy Spirit to discern these matters. We are not alone. Paul encourages us to consider where our boldness lies and to put our trust in God into action. To do this, We need constant reminders of God's holy and good character. God's gospel matches up to who he is. This is the God who calls us into his kingdom. And this confidence rightly produces integrity. When we reduce God's activity to church attendance numbers or how many likes our church sermon post gets, we leave ourselves vulnerable to the temptation that may see us promoting the gospel with ulterior motives. 
Here are just some vignettes from my own life where I have felt this. The pressure I feel as I prepare a sermon, um, the stress I take on when I plan another event, the hit of adrenaline I feel when someone gives me good sermon feedback, the shame I feel when I am criticised, the embarrassment I feel when someone mocks Jesus publicly. As I read this list, I am reminded that God sees my heart and yet he still accepts me and has called me. I can take heart in Paul's words when he affirms to the church and to me that God has called us into his kingdom with pure motives and that we already have a place there. We can look to Jesus and see that we have God's approval and we are free to live with integrity because of God's calling. It is a safe and secure place to be in his kingdom. So finally, um, the last couple of verses will dwell on love. So confidence in God's calling produces boldness and integrity. And in the final verses of today's passage, Paul shows us that God's calling produces in us a love for others. Twice he uses parental metaphors, uh, one of a mother in verse 7 and that of a father in verse 11. His love for the church is three-dimensional. It is gentle and nurturing. It is also exhorting and encouraging in nature. I imagine the church uh, would be feeling the love very much at this point, uh, reminiscing on the ways that they've been cared for by Paul. I wonder also whether they would begin to consider how they might continue imitating Paul in this manner also. Paul's demonstration of his confidence in God's calling is an encouragement to us also to complete our witness to others, not just by boldly claiming the gospel in truth and with grace, but with a deep care and concern for others in God's kingdom. If the goal is not to satisfy our own pride and greed, but so that others can taste the goodness of God in his kingdom, then as we spend time with those we are discipling or reaching out to or walking alongside, as we pray with them, as we do life with them, they will become very dear to us. Paul's demonstration of, a, of living a life worthy of God is an encouragement to us to embody these three kingdom values, boldness, integrity, and love. Living in this confidence um, of God's calling brings glory to him and encourages others to do the same. It promotes a kingdom uh, living as a community bound by truth, integrity, and love. God's kingdom doesn't need aspirational values because its values reflect the character of God himself. So whilst it's difficult to maintain integrity in a world that plays and feeds off our desires to satisfy our pride, uh, remember God's calling. He is faithful to you. Let Paul's encouragement to the church so fill our hearts today. Who knows what is in our future, whether locally or globally, whether there'll be further um, extensions till Christmas or not. Let Paul's words affirm your place in the kingdom of God. To continue living in confidence of his call, we get a taste of that now and patiently wait for the fullness of it when Christ returns. Go, therefore, brothers and sisters, live boldly with integrity and with a deep love for others, with God and one another as witnesses, because God's kingdom is a truly better one 
and his message matches up to who he is and he is good. Amen. <laughs>